Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. There's one basic thing that God wants us to do, right? He wants us to love Him and love one another. Right, right. Um, Sorry to announce that the world has not been very good at this, right? I'm just going to cycle through a few pictures here. Uh, as long as we can remember, there have been wars and rumors of wars, and uh, and people have basically said, oh, yeah, we love God so much that we're going to destroy you. Isn't that amazing? That all through the ages, we can't seem to settle our differences. We can't seem to, to be at peace with one another. And we have actually used... God as an excuse to actually start those wars. It's just amazing. Just amazing to me how, how sad of a history, uh, we as humans have in this world when it comes to just doing one simple thing. Love each other. Right? Love each other. So John, in in his little epistle, says this in uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 11, For this is the message you heard from the very beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, If the world hates you. Basic understanding that we run with in this life is that uh, you can try to love other people, but they're not necessarily going to love you back. For a number of reasons. But it says here that uh, Cain and Abel were the first of many examples of this hatred and this killing. So you see a picture there of Cain and Abel. Now, we need to remember that it's not just murder, not just the physical doing of murder that, uh, that is the issue. Hatred in the Bible, as Jesus defines it, is just like murder. Look here in, in uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, Jesus himself said, this is in Matthew, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, of course. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, he just wants to repeat this. Make sure you're hearing, you're listening. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which basically uh, means stupid or idiot or dummy or whatever. You, you know, insert the insult that you choose to put the other person down. 
He says this. He says, they are answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Woo! That's a little, that's a little uh, harsh. Well, um, I don't know about you. Everybody got a brother or a sister here in this, you know? Has there ever been a moment, just, just a, you know, fleeting moment when you kind of hated them? Now, I could, I could stand here all day and tell stories about how much I hated my brother, okay? You know, and how we got into it. And, you know, how many times my dad had to come in and open the door and turn on the light. You boys better settle down, right? You know, it's like, it was always my brother's fault. Uh, we get at odds with one another and we get so angry. Now, what, what do we think about when we get angry at somebody? The number one we, one, number one thing we think about is we don't want them around. I can't be in the same room as you. I was so happy when my brother moved out and moved far, far, far away. Right? Yeah. It, it's, it's the same thing as wishing someone was dead. It's what murder is. Just, I don't want to be around them. They don't... I don't want to relate to them. I don't want to associate with them anymore. That's what the idea behind murder is. I want them permanently to be out of my life. And so Jesus says, this is an equivalent. Hatred is equivalent to murder. Now, so Jesus knows that we've all been there, all done that. And so Jesus gets involved because he does not want his created beings, the ones that he created to have a loving relationship with. He doesn't want them to go down that path and wind up facing an eternal situation where they are without God and there is punishment. Right. And so he says, I am going to intercede. And that's what we celebrated with communion this morning. Right. Jesus dies on the cross. He pays the penalty that we could not pay for our own sin. And so his blood, his body covered as the sacrifice once for all time for all of mankind's sin. So Jesus gets involved to make it possible for us to literally and figuratively, eternally be brought back to life. And not just life, but the life that God originally intended us to live. And that means a life that relates to all of his creation in a loving, kind way. Okay? So, how do we know that we have this eternal life? It's a good question. Now, I grew up Baptist, and uh, as, as a Baptist, and those of you who have maybe been in a Baptist church might be able to validate this for me, but we basically got saved every week, okay? Um, and I, we had a pastor, a little funny story here, you know, we had a pastor that basically we had the, the altar call and Just As I Am sung every single Sunday and uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night, and the pastor would not end the service until somebody came forward. So when I got into high school, I just remember this one time that you know, my buddies and I were sitting in the back row, of course, where you know we usually sat. 
And, uh, and I just remember leaning over to my buddy and saying, okay, which one of us is going to go forward? We got to end this thing, you know? So how, how do we know? Because we were made to feel kind of guilty that, well, maybe you aren't a Christian. You certainly haven't been acting like one, right? And so we need to get resaved, recommitted, whatever uh, words you want to use, right? So how do we know that we actually do have eternal life? Well, right there in verse 14 of, of 1 John chapter 3, it says this. We know that we have passed from death to life because why? Finish it. Because we love each other. Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister, remember, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We need to live a sacrificial life. Sacrificial life is one that basically says, you know what? I will forfeit my life, my rights, in order to be at peace with you. To give you the life that Jesus died for you as well. And John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, it says this. My command, this is Jesus talking, is love each other as I have loved you. Now, that's that's a pretty tall ask, right? But keep in mind, this is something you need to carry with you all the time. God will never ask you to do anything that he will not also supply the power to accomplish. Right? I mean, that would just be cruel to ask you to do something and then not give you the resources to get it done. I would say, hey, go out and mow the lawn for me, kid. And uh, sure, I'll be happy to mow the lawn. Well, okay, you're on your own. There's no lawnmower. How's it going to happen? Right? Well, when Jesus asks you or tells you and me to do something, he also provides the power, the wherewithal to be able to accomplish that. So one of the things that we need to remember is that when God asks us to do something, we just need to activate that. And sometimes it's just by actually agreeing with God that this is something that can be accomplished with his help and maybe sometimes the help of another believer that comes alongside you to help get it done, right? And so Jesus is saying, love each other, and we should believe in our hearts that that is actually possible. And it also means that it's possible to love those who are really unlovely, like my brother, <laughs> okay? I'm not saying he's an ugly guy. I'm just saying, you know, he was kind of ugly toward me sometimes. Not right now. I mean, he's a nice, nice guy. He actually became a pastor and a missionary. And, but he does live way far away in Canada still, you know. We, we get together for like maybe a week every year. And uh, that's good. Okay. So, you know, God, God knows the parameters that we need to, you know, to operate under. But the bottom line is this, is that we need to believe with all our heart that we can even love that person who is a little unlovely, a little snarky, maybe doesn't treat us the way we would like to be treated all the time, but that's not their problem. 
It's our responsibility how we're going to respond, right? And so we need to pray and agree with God that that we can accomplish what he calls us to do. Now, what does that sacrificial love practically look like? Well, it looks like compassion and generosity. Look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, and remember, brother or sister is not just a Christian. It's people who are created all in the likeness and the image of God. If they see this brother or sister but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, there he goes calling us kids again, let us not love with words or speech, or just with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Very basic. I love how John says this. He understands that we all think like little kids sometimes, and so he makes it as as easy to understand, as as plain as absolutely possible. And he says this. Do you want to know what sacrificial love looks like? Here it is. If somebody has a genuine need, and you see it, and you have the resources to be able to help in that situation, and you do nothing about it, you have no pity, no compassion for that person at all, then then you should be a little afraid. Because it says the love of God is not in you. Now, how do we gain confidence as believers in the fact that we have indeed crossed from death over to life? Well, um, I think we have an answer right here. If we have the material possessions and we see people in need, but we don't have pity on them, then we need to recheck our heart. He says, let's love with not just words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, what's really interesting is that word pity is literally shuts the bowels because or shuts the guts. Um, the, the word there is splachna. Okay. I want you to say that without spitting on the person in front of you. Okay. Splachna. All right. Splachna. Isn't that a great word? It just kind of sounds like guts, right? Okay. Excuse me if I'm offending anybody, you know, but it, this is like, okay, this is like a splachna. Well, he's talking about, yeah, the inner, inner parts of your body because what, what they thought in, in that time period is that What's inside here is the center of your emotions, your center of your feelings, your splachna, right? If you don't, if you aren't moved to feel something deeply about someone who has a need, that you could meet that need, if you don't, it doesn't move you at all. You see someone who, who is down and out, someone who doesn't have a home, someone who doesn't have food, someone who doesn't have clothing, just the very basic things in life. If it doesn't move you at all, then we need to recheck things, right? Because the Bible here is speaking very seriously to us. If we have material possessions, and, and let's be honest, we are all rich. Everyone sitting here in this auditorium today in, 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 in the scope of the world would be considered a rich person. So if, if we who have resources 
aren't moved with a measure of compassion for those who are lacking, who have needs, then we need to rethink our commitment to Christ, right? James chapter 2, verse 15 and 17 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Hey, go in peace, be warm, be well, be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. So this is James talking and he's saying, you know, if you've got resources and you don't do anything about it, when you see somebody that has a real need, your faith is really not alive. Your faith is dead. So what does that mean for us who do have resources? Well, according to the National Center for Charitable Statistics, among people who specifically give to religious organizations, here it is, only 45% of households give anything at all. So these are people who, you know, believe that giving is a good thing, but only 45% of them do anything about it. Okay? Um, It's very interesting that also that households... um, those who do give, give an average of 1.89% of their income. Now, notably, the less a household makes, the higher the percentage is. Isn't that interesting? That people who have less income actually give more on average than people who make higher incomes. Now, lest we, we think this doesn't apply to us, um, note there that, um, I didn't put this on the slide here, only 5% of church attenders actually tithe. Let's give 10% of their income away. As a matter of fact, the national average, I've been keeping track of this for many, many, many years as a pastor, and the national average hasn't, I mean, the, the needle hasn't moved hardly at all. The average gift from people in churches is about 2% of their income. That's to all charities, not just giving to the, their home church, but to all charities. But what does that say? What does that say? It says that we think we need more than somebody else. As a matter of fact, they've taken national surveys that, and everybody, almost everybody wishes they just had a little bit more and they'd be happy. The number, I think, is about $400 a month. If I just had $400 a month more than I have now, then everything would be okay. Does it speak into our consumerism, uh, our our consumer lifestyle, our our greed, that we think that we need more than maybe somebody else who has a genuine need? Um, Wow, this is serious. This This is reality. This is something that Jesus speaks into. This is why Jesus said it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of heaven than, than to push a, a camel through an eye of a needle. That, that's a pretty tough deal. I don't know if you've ever tried to push a camel through an eye of a needle. Actually, that eye of a needle was a, was a little portico, a little gate. Okay? And the thing about camels is um, they would stack all their goods all their possessions on top of the camel when they were going places and doing things, right? 
Um, and so it was, it was like the trunk of the car. You know, okay, this is where you stuff stuff. It's on top of the camel. And the only way that you could get a camel through this, this side gate in the wall was to unload him of all of the stuff. And he'd have to get down on his knees and shuffle through. Literally be pulled through. So it's not impossible to get a camel through an eye of a needle. It's not, you know, a sewing needle. It's not impossible, but it is tough. And the first thing you've got to do is you've got to unload the guy. Okay? You've got to get down to the basics. Bare bones. My brother, um, when he was pastoring in Dallas, Texas, uh, he, had a, he had a multimillionaire in his congregation. This guy was a brilliant businessman, and uh, he made millions and millions of dollars every year. But he came to faith in Christ, and, and he got serious about his faith, and he, he read this text, and he told my brother, he says, you know, I kind of figure that God has given me the gift to be able to make money, and I think that tied with that gift of being able to make money is the gift of giving. So he decided, he and his wife and his family had a powwow, and they said, you know what, God has really blessed us, and we have millions of dollars, but we don't need more. So he still lives in a tract home in Irving, Texas. He still drives a 15-year-old Chevy. He buys his suits at J.C. Penney's, right? And he gives over 99% of his income away. His accountants are furious with him, okay? But he said, I don't need it. Now, the one extravagant thing that he did is he did have box seats for Cowboys games. Okay? But here's what he did with them. The, the, the Sunday that we were out, Janice and I went out to visit them. Um, he said, hey, do you ever like to watch the Cowboys play? I said, well, you know, on TV sometimes, once in a while. He said, would you like to see them in person? See, every Sunday... They had their church service early because they had a lot of Cowboys fans when we're talking football. And, and so, uh, so they had an earliest service, right? So they could get to the stadium on time, right? And, and so what he, he did is he bought these tickets with the intent of giving them away. And if you were new to the church and, and, you know, he spotted you first, he actually came up to my wife and myself and said, Hey, would you like tickets to go see the Cowboys today? And guess what I said? I said, yes. <laughs> because I love nachos. No, no. <laughs> See, yeah, we did. It was his time to bless somebody else. Isn't that cool? I mean, who doesn't want cowboy tickets if you're living in Texas, right? I mean, wow, that's just like the best thing in the world for somebody. But see, he used his blessing to bless others. And, and that, was, that was his life. He figured, God gave everything for me. I have what I need. If I've got anything more, I should be able to be free to give it away. Something to think about. Matthew 14, 14 says, When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good. To all people, and especially 
to those who belong to the family of believers. So what's, what's the benefit of being generous like this? What's the real benefit? Well, in verse 18 of First John here, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, let's just look at this for just a second. Unpack it. It says, if we love with actions and in truth, it says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. And we set our hearts at ease in his presence. You see, we've got this this heart, our feeling, right? Our splachna, that kind of tells us in our in our minds and our hearts that we've done right or we've done wrong. And, and and so when we have resources and we meet somebody's need, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel good, right? And 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 if the Bible says if someone has a need and you meet that need, that that's what a Christian does. That's what a, a person who's moved from death to life does. You go like, oh, Okay, well, that it solidifies your faith, your confidence before God that you've done the right thing, right? If you don't do something when you see somebody in need, your heart rightly should condemn you. That's what this verse is saying. And I'm convinced that the reason that I have gotten so many people come to me over the years with this fear that they're not saved. They said the right words. They, they, they walked the aisle or they said the prayer. They, they went to church. They gave a little money, whatever they did. They might have even gone on a mission trip once or twice. But their life regularly did not speak that they were a generous person that they really had a deep compassion and caring attitude for those who had great need. And, and so they came and they, and they said, well, how can I be, be sure that I'm a Christian? And they were looking for some verse for assurance. Now, I can cherry pick a whole bunch of verses to tell you if you say these things, then you're a Christian, Right? And we talk about belief, 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 believing in the right things. But the truth is that belief without action, as James says, is what? It, it's not real. It's not alive. It's not breathing. It's dead. So I want to encourage you to go home, talk with your family and say, you know what? We, we live in a pretty good scenario. Maybe you got a nice house, uh, you got a nice car, you're able to buy extra things. How many times did you go out to eat last month? Right? And to, to say, maybe take a little time to even repent and say, God, um, I want to have more confidence in, in my faith. And so I need to look at my checkbook. I need to look at my credit card statement. I need to start really thinking about the fact that you have blessed me and I need to be more compassionate. Look around me a little more. 
Now, one of the things that Brian told me uh, when we were talking about me uh, coming here and, and spending some time with you guys, hanging out and preaching and teaching and stuff, he says, you know what? This is a generous congregation. Generous congregation. Now, I believe that. I believe him, right? But I think I'm pretty generous, but I could still give more. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this because we have a need, because we don't. Our church is in the black. Okay? You guys are great givers. But what what are we going to do with that money? What are we going to do? With it? Are we going to do something for ourselves? You see, that's usually, humanly speaking, that's our first thought. We got a little bit extra more. Oh, now we can do this. Now I can buy that. Now I can enjoy something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Right? I mean, let's just all be honest. I, I do that. But maybe we should be praying, Lord, when I receive something maybe I didn't expect or I have more than I need for myself, give me a heart of compassion. Give me eyes to see maybe the next need that I could, I could be a conduit to meet that need. And you know, the more you do that, I want to encourage you to believe this truth, this biblical truth, that the more generous you become as a person, the stronger your faith will be. The, 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 the more you give, the more God gives that confidence to you to stand before Him and be completely confident that you've been transformed. Believing is good. Believing and doing is genuine. All right? So, he says in verse 21, Dear friends, If our hearts don't condemn us, in other words, when we've done the right thing, we have confidence before God. And we receive from Him, get this, I love this, we receive from Him anything we ask. Now, what if you really passed from death to life and your heart was transformed to the point to where you had extreme compassion, you were very open to being generous, what would you be asking for? Something for yourself? Or maybe you would be asking for something to meet the next need. Right? And if you ask that way, God, I see that these people have a need. Uh, Use me to be the conduit to be generous to them. And I don't have the resources right now, but give me the resources and I'll pass it on. And he says, if anything you ask, anything you ask, you'll receive it. That's amazing. And and I can't can't help but believe that, that what I want most is to be able to really genuinely feel like I am loving God and I am loving other people with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything I have and everything I possess, I'm trying to do and be the kind of person that God calls me to be. And so verse 23 says this, and this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the Spirit that he gave us. See, God's Spirit Spirit that that is alive in Jesus and it's alive in us. 
is calling us to have the same kind of compassion and love and genuine spirit for others. So let's do that. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for giving us everything that we need for life and breath. We all seem to be doing okay here this morning. Um, we we uh, had transportation to get here. Um, we're all clothed. Um, we might maybe starting to get hungry, but we've probably had breakfast. We have everything we need, God. Uh, help us to become more generous. Um, help us to see our eyes wide open, maybe someone who has a need around us. And if we are the ones to meet that need, Lord, um, let us do it with grace and compassion, humility, and thanksgiving uh, that you have provided, not just for us, but for others to be blessed through us. Help us do that more and more, God. And thank you for the confidence that will bring us in our relationship with you and with each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.